I'm Dr. Omar Khan. I'm Dr. Shannon Gowland. I'm Dr. Tiffany Dursey. And welcome to Vet Sessions. Welcome back to Vet Sessions. Today we have in-house our very own veterinary cardiologist, Dr. Sherry Rahab, and PhD candidate, Sydney Banton. Welcome. Hi, Tiffany. We are here today to talk about a, a very controversial subject, uh, the feeding of grain-free diets to dogs and the potential link to a serious heart disease called dilated cardiomyopathy. So before we, um, we jump in with these two amazing people from the University of Guelph, uh, let's talk a little bit about your background and how it is that you came to study dilated cardiomyopathy and grain-free diets. So Dr. Rahab. Okay. Uh, yeah, thank you so much for having us. Uh, as you mentioned, I'm a veterinary cardiologist here at the Ontario Veterinary College. I uh, joined as faculty in January 2020. Uh, before that, I did my residency and grad program, the Doctor of Veterinary Science, here at the University uh, of Guelph as well. And my project, uh, my DVSC project, was with the topic of canine dilated cardiomyopathy. So uh, that it certainly is an area of interest to me. And uh, since that time, uh, yeah, I've been working as both a researcher and a uh, clinician here at the OVC. Welcome. Well, that's fantastic. Great background. And then, of course, this is your second time on the podcast. So welcome back. That's true. Thank you for having me back. <laughs> of course, of course. And then we also have in-house here, Sydney Banton, who's a PhD candidate. So Sydney, um, tell us about yourself. How is it that you uh, came here to uh, be on our podcast and work at uh, um, uh, with Dr. Uh, Sherry Rahab? Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, I am a PhD student in the Department of Animal Biosciences under the OAC. Um, and we started working with Sherry a couple years ago on a project um, in sled dogs, looking at grain-free diets as well. And then after that, we wanted to look um, a bit more clinically at dogs actually affected by DCM. So we reached out to Sherry again. Um, so we are working on a project now through the OVC, uh, recruiting patients with DCM eating grain-free diets, as well as a healthy control group uh, to compare to as well. Excellent. And we, we can't uh, wait to learn a little bit more about that today. So um, so for um, a background uh, for our listeners, uh, in July 2018, the FDA in the United States announced that it had started to investigate reports of canine dilated cardiomyopathy, which we call um, DCM, in dogs eating certain pet foods, many labeled as grain-free. And many of these case reports included breeds of dogs not previously known to have a genetic predisposition to the disease. And I guess that's why it was so, so very concerning. So, um, so Sherry, why don't we start off with you to get a little bit more information about DCM. Can you tell us more about DCM or dilated cardiomyopathy in dogs? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, DCM or dilated cardiomyopathy is a, typically we think of it as a primary or genetic uh, heart disease where dogs who have a familial or genetic predisposition um, can develop this uh, disease uh, in later in life. So it, it's not something that they manifest uh, as young dogs, but they can uh, manifest it in middle age to, uh, as they're middle age to older. 
Um, the most common breed we think of is the Doberman Pinscher, who um, we know have a genetic predisposition, but some other breeds, especially large and giant breed dogs, such as uh, the Great Dane and, and the Newfoundland can also be um, predisposed. And so, as you mentioned, uh, you know, several years ago, there were an increased number of reports of dogs not known to be genetically predisposed to this uh, disease, you know, showing signs of that disease and, and wondering if there was a nutritional component. What DCM is, uh, it looks like a, a weak and dilated heart. So um, the ventricles of the heart, the, the pumping chambers that pump blood around the body, the disease looks like a more rounded or spherical ventricle that does not contract or pump properly. So, so that's what it looks like when we do cardiac ultrasound um, on these patients. Now, would a veterinarian be able to um, auscultate or how would that be detected in the general practice or in a wellness exam? Yeah, excellent question. So the tricky part with this disease is, is especially in the early stages, it can be um, sort of clinically silent. So dogs can have uh, especially early stages of dilated cardiomyopathy without any um obvious abnormalities on their physical examination. Um, however, as the disease progresses, often um, things like a heart murmur, possibly an arrhythmia, uh, may be able to be detected on physical examination. And then, of course, if the disease continues to progress, dogs can then experience uh, clinical signs of congestive heart failure. So that would be signs like difficulty breathing, uh, cough, um, possibly weakness or collapse. Oh wow! So so um, exercise intolerance, that type of thing. So so um, again, a good history in the in you know during the wellness exam would be really important, and then a murmur that that previously wasn't there, um, and then from a diagnostic perspective, is it um, um, X-rays that can be helpful, or or typically is do you jump right to the ultrasound of the heart? Yeah, so it depends a little bit on on what um, is available in the moment. I think if uh, the suspicion is high that uh, this patient might have dilated cardiomyopathy, a chest X-ray can be really helpful to show if the uh, what we call the cardiac silhouette or the outline of the heart um, looks enlarged. Um, of course, with an X-ray just being a still picture, we can't see the function of the heart. So ultimately, the sort of diagnostic test of choice will be an echocardiogram or or cardiac ultrasound. We get referred patients um, not uncommonly for, you know, having a new heart murmur, having a new arrhythmia, um, having some exercise intolerance, those kinds of things. And then usually the first thing we will do is a, an echocardiogram. Okay. Um, and then getting back to the grain-free controversy. And so um, again, with the FDA reporting it in 2018, I think their their um, report have went all the way back to 2014. So they started seeing more um, DCM in dogs that you know weren't predisposed to it. Um, it. And then all of a sudden there was sort of this potential link for grain-free diets. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that and how, how that happened or or what that looks like? Mm -hmm. For sure. So, um, you know, as anyone who kind of walks through the pet store recently knows, um, you know, grain-free diets, um, diets that include um, pulse ingredients. So these are things like uh, lentils, chickpeas, peas, those kinds of things often added to diets as a replacement for grains. Um, these diets have become very popular um, recently. So Sydney can maybe talk a little bit more about consumer trends, but um, essentially the, the, the feeding of these diets has become a lot more popular. And so question that I guess I have is, you know, 
there seems to be an association in some dogs between the feeding of grain-free high legume diets and the development of dilated cardiomyopathy. Um, and that has been reported, that association has been reported in, um, in several studies, many of them retrospective. Uh, but what hasn't yet been identified is, is why or what is the concern? Why is it that some dogs who eat these types of diets will develop dilated cardiomyopathy, whereas thousands of dogs out there can eat these diets without developing any problems at all. So it's that's kind of, in my opinion, where the controversy still lies. And so, Sue, do you feel um, in the cardiology service, um, are you have you seen cases or are you seeing more and more of these cases? You know, now that, um, I mean, I guess it was uh, reported, you know, back in 2018. So whether or not, you know, again, we can talk about consumer behavior later, whether that's changed and, and how much people know about this um, particular topic. Um, but you've seen cases in the cardiology service. Yeah, so I think there's kind of two... Um at least at least two uh, sort of potential concerns when it comes to diet and dilated cardiomyopathy. So historically, and this goes back well before, um, you know, the FDA started investigating in 2018, um, taurine, which is an essential amino acid, um, or, or I should say it's an essential amino acid in some, some species, is not considered essential in the dog, but it is important um, for uh, cardiac health. And Taurine deficiency uh, has been identified as, as a causal, a potential causal factor for uh, secondary dilated cardiomyopathy, so one that's not a genetic cause. And um, that uh, can, you know, relatively easily be identified in, in terms of if we measure blood taurine levels and they come back low, we can say, well, this, this DCM is very likely to be associated with a taurine deficiency let's supplement your taurine and, and very frequently those dogs will, will get much better. So that's, that's one population. And I've definitely seen that before and have documented that dogs get better when uh, taurine is supplemented. The second group is this mysterious green free association mm-hmm. or legume diet association. I think I have seen a couple of patients who um, have gotten much better when we've switched the diets, more improved than I would expect just from the cardiac medication alone. But I don't think that is universally true, at least um, in in my opinion. Um, some dogs j- just, you know, don't get better and eventually succumb to their disease. Um, you know, I think um, it's still a bit mysterious as to, you know, who's who's going to improve. And, and really that comes down to, we, we don't know what the causal sort of factor is here. And, and, and interesting because the DCM, um, as you stated, um, can be fatal. So this is this is pretty serious. And so, um, again, when we talk about more consumer behavior and when we talk to Sydney, um, you know, it's interesting to understand, you know, well, why is it that people are, are choosing these grain-free diets or what is it about um, about grain diets? And again, um, as I understand, there's, you know, going to be some, some that truly need that because of some, you know, specific allergies, but a lot of it um, can be sort of these boutique diets and whatnot that are sort of advertising for grain-free. And, and again, these trends may be coming from, from you know the human nutrition field so knowing that it can be uh, fatal I mean that's 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 pretty serious so can it be reversible or you said a a potential portion of it can be reversible I think so and and certainly some of the papers out there right now um, have identified that a portion of dogs who where it does seem to be diet associated um, that they can improve 
more than what we would expect, um, you know, just from cardiac medications alone. So probably diet change plays a role in some of these dogs. What we still don't know is why do some dogs improve and other dogs don't? Is there something, um, is there more than just diet um, that's playing a role in some of these dogs? Um, You know, there's still a lot of unanswered questions. Uh, and then insofar as the general practitioner, um, so, you know, a pet comes in for their wellness exam, you know, um, on history taking, we find out that they're on a grain-free diet. Um, you know, maybe you auscultate the heart, sounds sounds fine. Um, does that mean it's okay? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think that's what we're still trying to, mm. to figure out. We don't know um, if if the average dog out there, um, you know, would necessarily be at at risk compared to um, other other dogs, um, you know, generally, I um, I think one thing I've learned uh, working closely with um, you know uh, animal nutritionists is you know that ingredients uh, dogs and people don't have requirements for ingredients, they have requirements for nutrients. Mm -hmm. And so theoretically, any diet that provides adequate nutrients, um, you know, should be should be totally fine um, for individual dogs. It's just we we don't know yet what is, um, is there something missing? Is there something right? um, wrong um or is it something about that individual dog that we just haven't identified yet that could be at risk and i guess that's because traditionally the commercial pet food you know kibble and diets um have had grain right so this seems to be relatively new in in the area of uh, of uh, veterinary nutrition um getting back to um having a a pet in the clinic on a grain-free diet um should the general practitioner be looking at um some preventative diagnostics like so for instance um you know is there merit in 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 testing taurine or what do we say to clients that know about the taurine say, hey, I'm, my dog's on a grain-free diet. Should I test annually for taurine levels? Or should I do um, uh, a pro-BMP test, which measures like, you know, the um, uh, the expansibility of the heart? Any comments on, on that? Or, or really, it really is like sort of auscultation and, and discussion? Yeah, I mean, those are those are great questions. And I, I, I guess I'll be honest, I don't really know the answer um, right now. I think that it probably is... Uh, it probably would be excessive to to do a lot of diagnostic testing in a dog who is totally clinically normal with no clinical signs, with no cardiac auscultation abnormalities. Um, you know, I think we we sometimes um, can find ourselves getting into trouble running too many diagnostic tests and then not True. quite sure yeah. what to do with the <laughs> results of them. Um, I will say, at least right now, um, measuring blood taurine levels is not an inexpensive test. And so um, it is. Personally, if an owner and the veterinarian were especially concerned um, about the pet and about their diet, um, I personally would would prefer to spend that money on an echocardiogram, actually, compared to measuring blood taurine levels. um, Because they, you know, if if the dog has a totally normal cardiac uh, size and function, then there there is probably no concern in that individual um, dog. And I think where we should focus certainly is on the dogs who do have cardiac auscultation abnormalities or clinical signs like exercise intolerance, um, you know, cough, uh, tachypnea or increased respiratory rates at home. Those would be the dogs I would I would pay most attention to for sure. And do you have any idea how common this is insofar as, you know, the, the, the stats or is this, is this so, um, again, more and more people are coming in on grain-free diets, raw food diets, boutique diets, that type of thing, um, exotic ingredients. And, um, you know, again, to recommend an echocardiogram for every patient, obviously that would be great, but can't imagine that, that most people are going to do that. So um, how much should we be hawking these people out of these diets if there's no, you know, specific reason? And um, yeah, like how common is, is this? Yeah, I think from what we know, 
right now, um, it seems to be very uncommon. Okay. So, you know, when we look at, you know, the, and I'll, I'll let, again, I'll let Sydney talk maybe a little more about the consumer habits and, and purchasing these, these kind of types of diets, but um, it seems to be in, very uncommon among all the dogs who eat grain-free legume-based um, diets. Um, it seems that very few of them will actually develop a problem. Um, so again, I, I think it would be excessive to screen every single dog who doesn't have a problem. Um, but if there's concerns, whether it's from a clinical science perspective or from the physical exam, those would be the dogs I would focus on screening. Okay, that's that's very helpful. Um, and I guess we just don't know, like you said, who who's going to be okay on a grain free diet and who's not going to. So, um, yeah. so something definitely definitely to think about. So maybe we'll pass it over to uh, Sydney now. And so um, Sydney Banton is a PhD candidate who's doing some current research on DCM and nutrition. So Sydney, so tell us a little bit about your um, background with this particular research because I believe you've done some some previous studies on consumer behavior and mm-hmm. and you know why is it that uh, people pick these diets? Yeah, absolutely. So in my uh, master's, I looked at a global survey across Europe, as well as Canada and the United States, um, looking at, like you said, just why is this group of people choosing uh, grain-free diets? What are they looking for? What are they trying to achieve? Um, So we found a a bunch of different uh, correlations between the grain-free consumer um, and, first of all, their own diet. So we found that people who are more likely to follow like a stricter diet Uh, for themselves are more likely to choose grain-free for their dogs. Um, We also found that people who are looking for things like no fillers, no byproducts, those kinds of no claims on the bag are also more likely to choose a grain-free diet. Um, People who give their dogs uh, two or more other foods on a daily basis also more likely to choose a grain-free diet. So maybe they're supplementing it or kind of making their own diet with grain-free as the base or whatever it might be. Um, And then finally, we mentioned this before also, but people who, whether it was veterinarian diagnosed or just themselves thought that the dog had a allergy, they were more likely to choose a grain-free diet as well. So maybe looking at sort of a therapeutic uh, effect of grain-free um, for their dog's allergies as well. And then I've heard the the term BEG, Mm B-E-G, and so that's the boutique diet's exotic ingredients and then grain free. So I think Mm -hmm. that there was some kind of discussion about those three categories sort of being related to this DCM. And so, Mm -hmm. um, so in, in your study, um, you were suggesting that, that a lot of the consumer behavior is coming from them. So thinking that, you know, again, the, the, when they make selections for themselves, um, that they're also selecting that for their dog. Yeah, so we, for that survey, we were looking just at people feeding kibble, so just a grain-free kibble, um, but yeah, found all of those same associations, and yeah, we asked them a lot of questions about their own diet as well, Um, so that was where we found the association between people who are very strict, like they follow five or more of their own um, like daily regimens, were more likely to choose a grain-free for their dog. Um, and they're making that decision based on their own um, um, information and research rather than being veterinary advised? Yeah, so we did ask where they're getting their mm-hmm. information from. Um, there weren't a lot of associations with that question specifically, um, but we people were getting their information from all over a veterinarian, online, a pet store staff, the um, pet food company staff, everywhere. So 
right? Because yeah. obviously this consumer trend is, is, is pretty huge because mm-hmm. I remember when I graduated, um, you know, get on 20 years ago, um, you know, I would say that most of the diets had some grain in it. Yeah. And so this is sort of a relatively new thing as, you know, and again, we do have prescription diets that are sort of, you know, um, looking at alternate uh, alternative protein sources mm-hmm. and, and grain sources or no grain, um, mm-hmm. you know, particularly for allergies. But um, again, I would suggest that those would be pretty, pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. So, um, so really interesting when you go to the pet store now and there's just so many boutique yeah. diets and, and unusual ingredients, you know, everything from kangaroo to crocodile to mm-hmm. legumes and lentils, like that's something um, very new in, in, in my world. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's more and more. And I think in about maybe the past 10 years, uh, grain-free has made up about 50% of the available choices to consumers now. Wow. Well, yeah. that's that, that's a lot. So, yeah. you know, and again, uh, I remember way back, um, Dr. Jason Coe, one of our um, veterinary um, uh, communication professors here, did a study um, saying that actually that people um, do prefer to get their advice from the veterinarian. Mm-hmm. And then even as a uh, the veterinary medical profession, um, you know, we should really be taking some time during, um, during our exams, particularly during the general practice wellness exams, uh, to uh, inquire about nutrition and saying, well, why are you on this and why did you select that? And, you know, um, let's talk about that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think in that question, veterinarian was the the most selected choice for where they get their information from. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So that's good. So, so tell me about your, your, your current research now, because now you're investigating even further um, this link with DCM and nutrition. Yeah, so we're conducting a clinical uh, study right now through the Ontario Veterinary College with Dr. Sherry Rahab. Um, And right now we're in the uh, clinical recruitment stage. So we're looking for dogs specifically um, who have been eating and are currently eating uh, a grain-free diet for at least the past six months. So the same one. Um, And we're looking to exclude those dogs that are genetically predisposed. So we only want uh, breeds that are not genetically predisposed to developing DCM. And so that Uh, means, again, the, uh, sorry to interrupt, but the, um, so large breed dogs, like, so you don't want any Doberman pinchers um, and you don't want the giant breeds. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. Ideally, we are looking to get those dogs that um, it it is a different cause. It's not likely a genetic cause. Okay. Yeah. Um, So the grain free there. Um, they need to be over the age of one year and they have to be presenting some kind of, um, clinical, uh, sign of some kind of cardiac disease. Um, at which point we would hope the veterinarian would refer them to the OVC in which, uh, where we would start the, um, the trial there. So we would do an echocardiogram on the dog to confirm, um, the suspicion of any kind of systolic dysfunction or DCM in the dog. Um, and then it, What's pretty cool about our study is that we have a whole survey to go along with it uh, with the owner. So looking to see if anything they're doing in the home or any of their preferences or how they store their food or how the dog sleeps at night, things like that, that might sort of create a perfect storm to develop this uh, DCM. Um, But it's really tricky, I guess, to get dogs who are still currently eating the same grain free diet that they have been. Um, so that's where we're looking for the owner to keep the dog on that food until they can be seen at OVC, um, in which case um, we would start, again, the, the echocardiograms there and take a look further. Wow, that's uh, that's really interesting. And so when you say clinical symptom um, of, you know, potential DCM or heart disease, um, that could include a heart murmur or mm-hmm. um, or it could be exercise intolerance, collapse, coughing, yep. that, that type of thing. Yep. Um, and if they don't have a heart murmur, is that still Okay. Yeah, if there was any suspicion. Any of, suspicion. Yeah, some kind of cardiac dysfunction. Okay. Yeah. And then uh, what is your hypothesis or what do you hope to to find or do you have any ideas of what you might find? Yeah, um, it's kind of exploratory because um, yeah. we are looking at plasma metabolomics as well. So looking at hundreds of small molecules in the blood. 
Um, so those can be influenced by both diet, genetics, um, all different things. So we're looking to see if there's any trends there. Like, are these dogs deficient in something that we haven't even looked at before? Is there right. another biomarker that we can address here? Is it something else? Um, like Sherry mentioned before, we know pretty much by now it's not really, in this case, a taurine deficiency. It can be in some cases, um, but that's pretty much been ruled out uh, with the grain-free food right now. So looking at if there's anything else in the blood that might be maybe in excess, maybe deficient, uh, we're not sure. Um, and then really looking uh, with the survey to see, is it something going on like with how you store your food or or how you feed the dog? Are they underfeeding, overfeeding, things like that as well. So that's so interesting and looking at the whole like holistic picture because yeah. I wouldn't have thought about that. So that's um that, that that's really neat to think that there could yeah, I mean, and again, mm-hmm. you don't know. So exploratory and saying like, well, what like and I like that you said the word perfect storm because that's exactly what it sounds like because yeah. there are many dogs obviously that are on grain free diets that are perfectly fine. Yeah. And yeah. so why is it, you know, in this this particular dog, why is it that that that, that happens? So that's that's pretty neat. Do you have your eye on any specific metabolite or is there a group of things that you think could, could be or or not necessarily? Uh, I There's so many that we're yeah. going to get back uh, on the metabolomics. But one thing we've been looking into a little bit is homocysteine okay. um, as a, a different marker. Um, so similar to taurine, it is sort of an amino acid um, derivative. Um, it's involved in taurine production as well. Um, but it has been associated with some cardiac diseases in humans. So that was one that we kind of caught our eye and we've been looking at in research for the past couple of years, um, not with clinical dogs though. So we are interested to see if that has any um, correlation with DCM. And then how many patients is it that you're trying to attract? As many as we can get. <laughs> it's been Fantastic. tricky so far. Um, I can imagine, yeah. But yeah, as, as many as we can over the next couple of years, probably. Um, and then um, how can they contact you or, or what? Um, how can they get uh, in, in touch with you to learn a little bit more about this? Yeah, so any um, veterinarian that suspects this or even um, an owner, maybe, um, our email is ovc.clinicaltrials at uoguelph.ca. So they can reach out there uh, for more information or if they think they have a patient that fits the enrollment criteria. Excellent. Um, and then this is already underway. So you've already started this, um, this particular research. Yes. Okay. Um, and then, uh, again, with, um, with, with, um, the, the results that you get, I mean, potentially there could be a huge impact because again, it's trying to figure out, you know, why is this happening and what do we do? And, mm-hmm. um, myself as a general practitioner trying to figure out how to advise people, um, in the, um, in, you know, in the exam room is, is, is so challenging. And mm-hmm. again, uh, you know, when you look at nutrition, it's so complicated. Like you said, like when you look at consumer behavior and, you know, wh- where do people get their information from and mm-hmm. again with um with with google and the internet and so many um different opinions out there it's trying to figure out where you get your information from mm-hmm. yeah do you have any advice for people right now if they have a dog that doesn't really have any allergies um would would you ever recommend a you know um just using a, a grain-free diet for for no particular particular reason or do you think that to be cautious you really should look at grains yeah, at this point, I don't think that we have enough evidence to suggest that grain-free is causing cardiac disease. So I okay. wouldn't, if your dog is totally healthy and you have no concerns, I would not have any problem suggesting a grain-free diet. No need to panic. No need to panic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, like Cherry said as well, like majority of the dogs are healthy. It's a very sure. small percentage, like 0.5 to 1% of dogs right. that are affected. Um, so if you have no concerns, I 
I would not have any concern feeding a commercial grain-free diet. Um, and then for, for those that are trying to make the decision and say, hey, you know, I'm, I, I need to, a new diet for whatever reason, and whether mm-hmm. it's because it's a different life stage or potentially um, a, a new diet, um, it, it, I, mean, I guess if you wanted to be super on the cautious side, then I guess you could evaluate and say, well, well why pick a grain-free when you could pick um, a grain diet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and grains and pulses are complementary in their amino acid profile. So typically if you use them together, they would be a more like the, the protein quality would be higher because they have complementary profiles. Okay. Um, but where we see the the issue is when you remove all of the grains. So then you're only providing uh, pulse ingredients and they have a different profile. Um, so, and it's, I guess, tricky too, because in humans, we know pulses are healthy, especially for your heart. They're high in fiber, they're high in protein. Um, so seeing sort of the opposite being suggested in dog food is a bit tricky, I guess, for consumers. Um, and then just to clarify, can you say what what is a pulse? Pulses are um, like peas, lentils, chickpeas, beans, anything like that. And they're usually what are used uh, to replace the grains like rice and things like that in a traditional diet. Okay. Again, it's an advertising thing, right? Yeah. So like for consumers, like a lot of times it's, it's sort of a, a good thing. And it says, you know, this is grain free and interesting that you commented a little bit about the, the fillers. Cause I feel mm-hmm. like that's still something that a lot of people sees that they see corn on the diet mm-hmm. uh, or on the label. Um, some of the advertising surrounding some of these diets and, you know, using words like, you know, natural, holistic, no mm-hmm. fillers, um, you know, and you see things like blueberries and cranberries as, you know, kind of up there on ingredients. And mm-hmm. um, again, it's a very confusing as a consumer, yeah. even for myself. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely. That was sort of what we suspected when we started the survey as well, that it was associated with those no claims. Um, and it it was. So, um, yeah, interesting to see that people want things eliminated from the diet, whether it's fillers or grains. So, yeah. um, Do you have any um, quick comments about, you know, how veterinarians can talk about fillers or, or why, you know, why would you say, hey, let's use a grain diet? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a lot of it just comes from consumers don't know what it means. So if you mm-hmm. just saw the word filler, it has a negative connotation, but sure. nothing is really a filler in food. Like each ingredient has its own reason for being included. And maybe it's that the consumer doesn't know like the word that's on the back of the label um, or those fillers maybe are amino acids that like the word methionine, people don't know what that is. And maybe they think it's a filler, um, but that's an amino acid that is a precursor to taurine. So um, something important important. that maybe people don't know what it is. And that's the only thing that is stopping them from selecting it. Um, And then grain-free diets also include raw raw diets because a lot of raw Mm -hmm. diets are are not necessarily balanced Mm -hmm. um, and potentially have a lot more protein, I'm guessing, Mm -hmm. than, you know, and and do they have grains or do they have, you know, other vegetables and that some clients said that literally just feed their um, their pets meat. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think like commercially available raw products that meet um, AFCO uh, is the standard for pet food. If it if anything says it meets AFCO standards, then you can you know, assume it's meeting all the requirements that your dog would need. But home prepared is definitely more challenging because you don't, unless you're a nutritionist, you don't know if you're meeting all of those micronutrients that your dog requires. Right. And that's the uh, American Association of Feed Control Officials, so yes. the AFCO statement. So often we're teaching um, uh, clients and students, um, you know, to look at the bag. And again, the AFCO statement, um, if it's there, right, because mm-hmm. in, in, in Canada, actually, you don't have that's to right. meet requirements. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so you should look for the bag and make sure that you've got the AFCO statement that says that it meets um, the requirements, which really are just minimum requirements yes. to say that they're nutritionally valid um, mm-hmm. and then looking for the life stage as well. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Excellent. So, so would you suggest that if you, um, if a, if a consumer has a diet that has no AFCO statement um, and no claim on it, should they still feed that, or, or again, it's about risks, benefits, and options? Yeah, I personally, I would recommend that they look for the AFCO statement. Um, I wouldn't want to feed something that isn't meeting those requirements. And even, you know, we have some research that suggests those requirements are maybe not. I mean, they're definitely very old, uh, the research that it's based on, and they may not be sufficient as well. So we are, uh, our lab is looking at requirements as well. And a lot of times um, finding that the requirements are higher than what is currently recommended too. Right. It's so interesting when you look at consumer behavior. I mean, we were talking about this before the podcast and, you know, where do people get their information from and where should they get their information from? And, mm-hmm. you know, in this day and age, it's almost like there's too much information. My take on it would be is that unless you really need a grain-free diet, um, why not choose something with grains? No. So this study is going to be really interesting. You're going to get a whole heck of a lot of data and trying to put it all together with some statistician. So yeah, yeah, yeah that, absolutely. that'll be really interesting. Um, what else do we need to know about your research or dilated cardiomyopathy and grain, grain diets? Any other comments that you have? We're just we're really uh, in the recruitment phase right now. So uh, just trying to get the word out there, especially to veterinarians, because um, our clinical group, we do need sort of a, a suspicion, I guess, from a veterinarian first, um, and then really hoping that they stay on the grain-free diet until they can be seen uh, by Sherry, at least, um, just because it's, it's tricky to find dogs who haven't switched their diet already. Um, the dog uh, can also not be on any cardiac medications yet. So the whole okay. point of our study is really getting them at that very first diagnosis before other interventions are included. And a lot of previous research, the dogs are on all different kinds of cardiac medications, which are obviously intended to improve cardiac function. Right. So it's difficult to make conclusions when they're on things that are improving the disease. So we are really trying to get at that very right first the diagnosis. Yeah. So Sherry, you and Sydney had had mentioned uh, that the grain-free diets obviously um, have some some potential issues. Um, it's not uncommon for people in the exam room to say things like, hey, so can I just feed my um, grain-free diet and, you know, feed a piece of bread or add in some grains? Any comments about that? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. And, and I think it is, you know, very easy for us to talk about this sort of group of diets as grain-free diets. Um, and, and we have that question from the students as well. Well, is it the absence of grains that is the problem? And again, we don't we don't really know for sure, but there's certainly been some um, theories that it, it's not necessarily the absence of grains that is an issue, but possibly the inclusion of these pulse ingredients. Um, and so I, I don't think we have any evidence to suggest that simply adding grains to a previously grain-free diet, um, you know, solves all our problems. Uh, but, it, you know, again, I think coming back to what Sydney had said, um, that really grains and legume ingredients um, are um, complementary to one another. And so where I come at this sort of research question is, is this whole idea of, you know, trying to identify sustainable protein sources. And, and for me personally, legumes are a big part of my, um, my diet, I, I don't eat meat. So uh, I get, um, you know, my full complement of amino acids from legumes and grains. And so why is it that there's an, an issue with dogs? Or is there an issue with dogs? That's still to, to be 
determined. It'll be really um, interesting to see how you can tease out all this information because, uh, again, there's so many different things. Is it the plus or the minus of something in the diet or is it the interactions of all the above? So you certainly have a, a tough uh, tough research question to uh, to answer for all of us, but we look forward to it. And so um, this episode of Vet Sessions is generously sponsored by OVC Pet Trust. OVC Pet Trust was founded in 1986 at the Ontario Veterinary College and it's Canada's first charitable fund dedicated to improving and advancing companion animal health and well-being. OVC Pet Trust supports innovative discoveries, education, and healthcare that improve the prevention, diagnosis, and treatment of diseases of pets. And you can learn more about OVC Pet Trust at www.pettrust.ca, um, or you can also connect with them on Instagram at the handle at OVC Pet Trust. Um, and again, your uh, research is being funded by OVC Pet Trust, so very, very exciting. So I hope that you can get lots of recruits, and I hope that some listeners will um, will send the info. Uh, we'll also put the uh, information on our Instagram so that um, that that people can connect with you, uh, but it sounds really exciting and I hope to learn more. So maybe, you know, um, uh, how long do you figure it will take to get all these cases or to complete your research? Yeah. Big question mark too. Hopefully (laughs) Hopefully Hopefully before my PhD is done. Hopefully before your PhD is done. That sounds like a good idea. Well, we hope we can get some cases, although very sad to think that um, that there could be a nutritional link. So I hope that we can get to the bottom of this because it's still, you know, it was interesting going online and looking at information and really it was kind of reported back in 2018, but not a lot of advancements since, since then. We just simply just don't know. Mm-hmm. Uh, and more and more boutique uh, diets, exotic ingredients and grain free. Um, and so really it's a big question mark for even general practitioners like myself on how to approach mm-hmm. that in the exam room. So Dr. Rahab, can you please tell us once more um, how veterinarians can get in contact with you and Sydney about the study? Yeah, so the easiest um, way to get a hold of us is by that email address that Sydney had mentioned, which um, we is ovc.clinicaltrials at uoguelph.ca. And I'll, I'll just reiterate that, um, yes, of course, we are, we are looking for patients who have a cardiac concern and are eating the same grain-free diet for uh, at least the last six months. Um, I know some veterinarians will have some concerns about not changing the diet in those patients, but I, I'll just throw out there that we are, um, because, because we're looking for these dogs for a research study, we're getting them in to see uh, us at the cardiology service much faster than the normal referral times. Um, I'm able to see them, you know, almost any week. Um, so we'll we'll do our best to get them in as quickly as possible. And then I'll also mention that there are some perks to the client uh, for being involved in the study. So the visit to the cardiology service um, will be subsidized by um, the study because thankfully we have pet trust funding and they will also get some um, blood work uh, done for free. So things like um, we'll measure blood taurine levels in these dogs, uh, that would be something that normally would cost uh, quite a lot of money um, f- to the client, um, and that's something that we would uh, cover as part of the study. So again, ovc.clinicaltrials at uoguelph.ca. Uh, also, if you just were to you know uh, do a web search of clinical trials at the OVC, you'd be able to find ours and um, other studies that our colleagues are um, participating in as well. Fantastic. And it's a great research like this that can actually change consumer behavior and change our recommendations in the exam room. So I'm really excited to, to hear more about your research and, and, and what ends up happening. So again, thank you so much to Sydney and Sherry for coming on the podcast today. Uh, for our listeners, thank you again for tuning in. Uh, don't forget to uh, like us on Instagram and you can find us uh, at the handle at Vet Sessions. If you have any questions, you can also email us uh, vetsessions at hotmail.com and we'll see you next time.